sweet dreamer. I'm happy you're here. I'm happy you're here, and I'm honored to guide you towards chasing your biggest goals. I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to ask you a question, because at the point of this recording, I just need to know your answer. How often do you think about your pre-coronavirus life? And is it filled with nostalgia and longing? For me, I think about receiving a call that we were able to adopt our baby girl and packing in about 30 minutes for a trip to Vegas to pick her up. And that's exactly what you're going to hear today. Like right before quarantine, I had a conversation with Vivian Nunez on her podcast, What Happened After. But I feel that while the changes and weight in this episode feel different than what we've been going through since then, the same lessons apply, which mostly is embrace the suck. I mean it, friend. Like it it shows you where to go next. I have a feeling you're going to enjoy this conversation with Vivian because I enjoyed just letting my guard down and being very vulnerable. Vivian is known in addition to being a Forbes contributor and being a powerful writer. She just has really honest, candid conversations about what life looks like through mental health and wellness and depression. Yeah, that big D word that many of us don't talk about, but really opened my eyes to talk about the story and the journey from multiple perspectives. And I think overall, that's going to be a good one. So let's tune in. I'm so pumped to be on an episode of What Happened After with Jasmine Starr, who is literally a star. And I, you know, life has changed in amazing, quick ways over the last few weeks. Um, We talked for the first time like a month ago. Yeah, it was about right? a month. Something like that. <laughs> and now it's like the world is a different place, a more a brighter place. Um, but it's so cool to see how quickly life changes, how we adapt to it, which is really going to be the theme of this conversation. But for starters, just thank you so much for joining. And I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I think it's an important conversation. And you you adequately described that life is beautiful. And life was beautiful before, but now it's just like extra shiny and amazing. So tell me a little bit about this added sunshine into your, in your life. Oh, this added sunshine came in the form of our beautiful daughter, Luna Sol. In Spanish, that means moon and sun, and that is what she is in our lives. Oh my gosh, we, I love that. Oh, girl. I mean, I'm just obsessed with her. And so to bring everybody up to, up to speed, I've been on this path to motherhood for so many years, and it was taking the form of adoption. And we've tried everything from international adoption, foster to adopt, an agency. We finally went like the private route, and mm-hmm. we thought that we would have time to prepare or meet the birth mom. And um, about three weeks ago, we got a call that a baby was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we packed our bags in 37 minutes and we drove to Vegas and we're like, this is it. Like, this is what we're going through. So when we got to Vegas, there was a journey. There was a lot more stuff that we weren't you know, ready for. We had choose turned into foster care. We had to go to court cases. There was a lot of stuff going on. But at the end of the day, all the good stuff that had happened was that we had our daughter and we were able to start a family. When I saw that Instagram post go live, I swear my heart just like grew 15 sizes and I was just so happy for you. Thank you. And I hadn't really known about the the journey that you'd been on, but just like the joy on your face showed how much you had 
worked for this moment is like feels like a strong word, but just committed to having this moment become a reality at some mm. point. And that became so apparent and it was just so wonderful to be able to share in that joy with you. And I think that, you know, based off our conversations previously, we actually talked a month ago um, for a Forbes article, which is awesome. And I'll link to it in the show notes. But I feel like that's just a common theme in your life that you are constantly just working towards all the really great things that you want in your life and committing to like what your gut tells you. You know, I... I actually think that this is like a really great point of distinction because mm-hmm. oftentimes people on the outside will look at uh, who I am, what I do, the mm-hmm. way that the the way that I approach life, and they'll say, "Oh, she worked for what she had." And while that's a little bit true, I don't want to be clumped into the she hustles her way mm-hmm. to get exactly what she wants. I do, I do believe that there's a component of hustling, but not to the point to where it's like unrealistic or will yep. break me. I just b- remained committed. Like I believed, like for years I didn't believe my success was a foregone conclusion. And then when I just shifted my belief and my mindset to tell myself that success is a foregone conclusion. Now success might not look the way that I think it should look, but my success and in this terms, like success equaling like being Mm -hmm. a mom, it was a foregone conclusion. I just had to be patient for the years and years and years that it took for us to get to that point. But that right there was a very clean distinction. I never heard somebody put it out that way. Is like, yeah, I worked for it, but more than anything, I remained committed and dedicated to believing that it was going to happen. It's the energy that exudes off you. Because I don't get the, like, yes, you're doing amazing things across all of the different work streams that you put your name on, but it isn't just hustle culture that comes to mind when I think of you. It's just, this is commitment and showing exactly that commitment looks like work sometimes Mm. but it also looks like faith other times yeah and it looks like not knowing a lot of the other times and it looks like rest sometimes Mm -hmm. like that's like something that like a lot of people like we don't don't talk about that but in order to have like mind body soul balance you actually have to take yourself out and like acknowledge like this is me taking off like the gas pedal and just sitting in like the suck there's a lot of times i'm not and we're here we are we're talking about it relation into being a mom but like in business in family in personal life in relationships with other people sometimes you have to sit in the suck and feel it all and give yourself the permission to be like this doesn't feel good i feel sad and then it's i've realized that when i face those things head on and like when i embrace the fact that it's feeling ugly and feeling heavy that's actually when i work through it it's when i push myself away that i end up like harboring myself and holding on to too much stuff that leads me down like a really dark path two questions there because so much of that spoke to me just probably in this this season of my life for sure but in every season of my life um how do you let yourself sit in the suck because i think that it sounds so great and i say it so often in different forms as well but it's actually really hard to stay there like to remain still in that so i think it takes the form for so many different people but i could just speak to what has has really had a transformative effect in my life And I think what was happened is for all intents and purposes, my family has gone through so much, but we are hardwired to say like, it's okay. We'll keep going. It's okay. Like, and while that's good and fine, what happens is when you, you distance yourself from reality, you keep on hoping for things to change, but you're not taking your eye off of the thing that's actually infringing or scaring you. And so it's like sitting in the suck for me is 
So for instance, let's go back since we're using this example as being a mom is like, there were so many times where we got really close. Like we'd be the final two families in consideration for a child. And there were times where I, there was one time in particular that I was so certain that we were going to get this baby that I asked my husband to pack our bags. I was on my way to a photo shoot. I was going to be teaching a live class. I was doing all these things and I'm like, we're going like, let's just, let's believe it. Like, will it happen? That baby is ours. And on the way to the shoot, I got a call from our lawyer and he started the conversation and well, I actually should say the windows were down. I had my sunroof, very typical California day. (laughs) And I was just like feeling myself. I had some like Rihanna. I was like, it's done. Like I'm going to be a mom and it's happening. And I saw him calling and I said, oh my God, I'm having this conversation by myself without my husband. I get to be the first person to hear I'm going to be a mom. And so he, he comes on the phone and he starts up by saying, I am so sorry. And there was this dichotomy of being like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, which is what I'm hardwired and programmed to say. But there I am on my way to a shoot. I literally gave myself seven, I hung up and I gave myself seven minutes to cry because I had to be professional. I had to step into what I was doing as a career did my photo shoot, got back to my car, came home and I just cried in the living room with my husband. And then I had to get my trash together, go out and teach a live class. Then that evening we sat down and instead of like, we should pop open a bottle of wine instead of just like, I'm, I'm going to watch reality television and unplug. It was just to sit there and write down everything I felt. I was angry. I was disappointed. I was in embarrassed. Like I wanted to beat myself up for allowing myself to get that excited because I'm one of the biggest advocates of just like believing it's going to happen. And here I am believing and it didn't. I felt like a fool. And it was in the process of me saying, this is exactly how I feel. And there's nothing I can do to change about it. Like I felt like I can look at my writing at that catharsis and look at it as if I'm talking to a friend. And if somebody told me I'm sad, I'm overwhelmed, I'm angry, I would look at that friend and say, it's okay, I'm gonna be here with you. And when I say sitting in the suck, it's just acknowledging like this feels bad, but you left it all here and tomorrow you're gonna try again. And that is so simple, but it's what I do and it's all I got. It heals my heart to actually hear that. I think it, it feels so warm and so honest. And so much of what we do, I mean, maybe we don't call it that, or maybe we don't give ourselves the credit for actually practicing that level of self-love. Because to sit in things that hurt is, to some degree, a really, really powerful way to love yourself. Because it means you're not running, and it means you're not trying to hide from the really hurt things. It's understanding that you are capable enough to make it through the other side of it, Mm. even if it takes a while and if it doesn't look the same like it did last time or whatever it may be and and is is it even a measure of strength because it doesn't mean that one person is stronger or weaker if they go through it in xyz way but it's just are you patient enough with yourself to actually go through those feelings and so much of what you were talking about simply that just being patient enough to actually sit through that and i really love the fact that you also highlight that you had those seven minutes and then and then it was time for work. And I think that when I talk to when I talk about grief a lot or mental health, I always talk about the notion that nothing about it is ever going to go away. Right. Like my grief isn't going to go away. The way I struggle or the things I struggle with mental health wise are things that I can manage and learn to live with. But it isn't necessarily going to disappear, mm. at least not all of it. And so it's so important to understand that a big part of managing it is being able to shelf it for a little while and say, you know what? 
I'm feeling this grief, but this is going to have to stay right here for right now because I just can't deal with it right now because there's other parts of my life that need my attention. And that doesn't make you a bad person. I think there's so much guilt associated with being able to kind of sidestep it for a second and then go back to it later. And it doesn't mean make you like less empathetic. It just means that you understand the balance that needs to happen and that in that moment you are capable of it. Maybe on another day you won't be. But for right then, that's the thing to be grateful for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so important. Like, I love that you said that because it just, it brings home a lot of the other stuff that we were talking about when it comes to the way you grew up and the decisions that you had to make along the way. Like, I love the fact that you used to go to school for law. (laughs) And then we're like, you know what? Ain't my thing gonna drop here. That's so true. That's so true. I think that sometimes we, um, we, we have the option to tell ourselves stories, the, the stuff that we should be doing or could be doing. And then the point of differentiation then becomes what will you do? And the only Oof, person that's who could, so good. Oh, <laughs> oh, good. You know, I think that everything in my life has kind of like measured up to the point of uh, should and could versus will. And every time I stepped into the power of will, it felt like I was in control of the decisions that I was making. And I was also able to absorb when things didn't pan out the way that I had expected. So if you are doing things from a place of should and could and things go wrong because it's life and they will, it affects you in such a deep way because you feel almost like powerless as if the situation was happening to you. But when you say, I will do this thing regardless of what other people say or think about it. When things do go sideways, you can absorb it to say, I voluntarily made this decision and I will voluntarily work my way through the sadness, the grief, the excitement and the success, whatever comes. Oh, I want to get that like tattooed. It's so important. And that, <laughs> the power of will. I think we negotiate that out of so much of our lives. And we say that we don't have that because right. we should be doing this because we could be doing that. And because or because we have to do X, Y, Z thing and then we forget that even in the things that are feel like obligatory, there is still an option of perspective and in shifting how we want to see it. And I think you've done so much of that between your career and just your life in general has been like a testament to to that. I love the story of the decision you made when it came to actually going full time with your photography and like the ties that has with your family is really, really sweet too. Do you mind sharing that story? Yeah, no, not at all. I think that, you know, if this goes back, Ooh, in relation to what I just said, in relation to what I said, I feel like when I look back at it, the decision for me to go to law school was a should and could decision. No, at the time I was like, no, 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 no. But deep in my gut, it was a could and, and should when we, as a daughter of an immigrant, as somebody who earned a full ride scholarship to college based on academics and also where my my family financially stood, like they couldn't afford it. So we were eligible for a lot of government assistance and a lot of academic assistance. And then it came back time for me to decide what I wanted to do with my life. And the could and should was, well, I can use this as an opportunity to move my family into a different socioeconomic status. I can and should be able to do this because I've been given like the academic wherewithal to do it. And 
when it came time for me to make that decision, my family was so supportive and they were so excited. And the story I was telling myself was, was like, it was a representation of like the hood. Like I was getting out of the barrio and like, look at me as an example. But it was, again, when things come from should or could, it's always like you're grinding yourself to like make it work and do the thing. And when I was in school, I was tired, stressed, wildly overwhelmed, and I was depressed. And I was depressed because during my first year, my mom had a relapse with brain cancer. And I did not want to be in school. Like my mom's battle was about eight and a half years. And so when the doctor said, hey, her time had come, I had no reason to believe that her time had not come. And I was just like, what am, what am I doing with my life? I think I'm going to go to school and I'm going to watch my mom die. So I talked to, I talked to my dad and I said, I really want to leave school. Like I really want to leave. And he said that he spent his entire life as an immigrant doing things that he didn't want to do to ensure that his children would not have to do things that they didn't want to do. And he said, if you do not want to be in law school, I do not want you there. And I think that that is the greatest gift that a parent can ever give their child is the ability for them to take their future in their hands, regardless of a parental hope and dream. And so I went back to school. I thought I could like stick it out. And then one day I just walked right in and I quit. And I was just like, I'm leaving. I need to be with my mom. And I think in you know baseline, I knew my parents supported me. I think on a tertiary level, my parents mm-hmm. were like, what is she really doing? Right. But it was the best decision of my life. It was the best decision of my life because I, that was I, to the best of my ability and not to get a hallmark after school special here, <laughs> but like that was like the, the first time in my life that I realized I did have control over the things that I wanted to do. And I didn't have to be shackled and tethered to the coulds and shoulds. I could be tethered to... I will. And that was a game changer for me. Everything about that makes me just smile because I think it, you know, we've talked about the Latinidad aspect of our, of our lives and how that can play such a huge factor in, in trying to motivate you in one direction or the other, because you always feel somewhat indebted to your family for all of the hard work that right. they did. And in podcast episodes, I used to always have this conversation and I used to say, that is Latino guilt. Like, it is a very real thing. It is never, like, obvious, and it's not pointed out to you, and it's not, like, said explicitly, but it is there, and you feel it. And the way that you sidestepped it so beautifully, both honoring your parents and your family for their contribution, but also understanding that it was a platform for you to build a new life and new dreams that maybe hadn't even been dreamt before, um, is just so cool to hear. And I hope that anyone listening who is Latina, or anyone listening who has that familial guilt of just understanding like you know my family made so many sacrifices for me how could I possibly go and do this thing even if they don't know it all they want is for you to be happy and it just so happy happens that they decided that their idea for happiness for you looked like this thing but you're able to redefine what that happiness looks like and teach them that actually it looks way more like this how did you manage in terms of just sticking to your new path I think that looking back at that time and then looking at other situations that look different, but still at the core were the same is like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place is mm-hmm. like my life options at that time were super limited. So I quit school. I had no money. I had no job and I got a scholarship that included me to live on on-campus housing at UCLA law school. But if you're no longer a law student, you're no longer eligible for the <laughs> apartment. So I was like, Oh, I don't even have a place to live. So very, very typical of like a Latina. I moved back home. So there I was. 
was 25 years old, moving back into my parents' house, being like, what am I doing with my life? And so I got a part-time job and my boyfriend of at that time, nine years had proposed and he wanted to get married when we got out of college. But I was like, no, see, I have this Excel spreadsheet where my, my life is planned and I'm going to get married when I'm going into my 3L year. And none of that, like none of like all that stuff was thrown out the window. And I said, I want my mom to see us get married before she passes. And we planned our wedding in three months. And the doctors, you know, they said she wasn't going to walk. She wasn't going to talk. She couldn't travel. And we planned a wedding in full faith in Hawaii. And, you know, I was like, mom, are you going to be able to go with us? Like, how is this going to work? And she said, like when you're at that point in your life, she's like, mm-hmm. what's the worst that can happen? I could die. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, like, so, so against all odds, you know, we started planning three months in and then all of a sudden throughout this wedding planning process, throughout me being home, throughout was being, being with our family, like my mom was on chemotherapy, radiation, and she had a shunt in her brain where they administered the chemo. So at that time they had removed everything. They stopped everything and they thought that she would deteriorate. And then against all odds, she slowly started getting better. And we were like, this is crazy. We think this is crazy that she's going to travel with us, but she's like, this is the thing I want to do. So both, it was just, it was a really small wedding. It was 22 people, which in a Latino family is just your immediate family. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so there's 22 of us. We're in Hawaii and against all odds, my mom walks me to the aisle. She's bald. She had facial palsy. So half of her face would, you know, wasn't working. Her left arm wasn't working. But she and my, my dad walked me down the aisle. And that was like this thing that shifted in me because my mom was 50 years old and I was 25. And on the happiest day of my life, the following day, I had a midlife crisis. And it was like, what am I going to do if I have, if I've already lived half my life? And I should probably take a second and like pause the story and say that my mom, against all odds is still here with us. It's absolutely amazing. But I also feel like that became my North star that I realized the fragility of life. And so when you say like, what kept you dedicated to like your goal? And I'm like, my goal was like, I don't want to die miserable. And then my only other option in life was like, go back to law school, which would pretty much guarantee a slow writhing death of miserableness, you know? So I was just like, you know, what? it's like, it's make it work or go back to the thing you don't like. And like, that was my only option. And like, maybe that sounds pretty dismal, but that was my reality. And I think that when your back is against the wall and you have no other options, you get scrappy, you get desperate, you make it work. You know, ingenuity is, it thrives in desperation. And I think at that point in my life and career, I had no other option. It's like, you make it work or you go back and you be miserable. And I decided I want to make it work at no matter what cost. So how'd you make it work? What'd you build from it? Um, I started my business officially in 2007. And then by 2010, early 2010, I was voted one of the top photographers in the world. And then by 2012, most socially influential photographer. Yes. And then by 2013, it was like most socially influential photographer. I'm like a socially influential photographer. There's a lot of stuff that happened. And I think that this goes back to, I know this isn't a business podcast, it's, but it's like a life principle, right? Yeah. So uh, when you build a brand, it sounds like this really esoteric thing, but Seth Godin describes a brand as a series of set expectations and memories and stories that taken together account for a consumer's decision to choose one business or service over another. And like, we all have a brand. Viv, you have a brand. Like anybody mm-hmm. who has a podcast, an Etsy shop, us walking around, a personal brand. It's like who you are, your identity. And <clears throat> when people say, well, how did you make it work? 
I infused everything I did with who I was. Now, some people hated it and that's great because that's what a brand does. It just does push some people away. But for the people who are like, I know you, I like you, I trust you, they become ride or die. And I was a terrible photographer when I started. Like, I think there's so many people still to this day who think I'm a terrible photographer. And to that, I say, I don't care. Like, there are people who think, there are more people who think I'm terrible and untalented than people who think I'm really amazing and talented. And mm-hmm. guess what? Those are the people that pay me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to convince the universe that I'm good or I'm talented or I'm worthy of like an art exhibition. I am funding my life and my dreams by a small group of people who get me and know me. And so to anybody who's listening, even if you don't have a business, but you're there like in your cubicle, you're building a brand. And that's an experience that you show your superiors. And when the time comes for somebody to elevate you or an opportunity to come your way, or even just to serve in a higher capacity, your child's PTA or soccer league, it's because what you have done is infused in experience, who you are, what you stand for. That's going to be the point of demarcation, differentiation. And that's what happened in my business is that people's like, you know what? I like this girl and I want her to document what it is that I do. And that was the game changer. I am speechless because everything you just said was just so good. Um, and it, and no matter whether you have a brand or you don't, you still have a life and that life has to tell the story of you. And people may not like that. If you're living mm. your truth, regardless of whether you're trying to sell something online or you're trying to build something on Instagram or you have an Etsy, like you said, or, or you're just trying to be honest with your family. Some people may not like what your truth is, but it doesn't make it any less your truth. Right. And you've done such a good job of really standing in your own and standing in your truth and making sure that, that the people that exist in your orbit also understand that it isn't just an invitation for them to participate in yours, but for them to really take ownership of their own as well you do just such a good job at that. And I think it's really hard to find that level of not only authenticity, but also the, the domino effect of how, how can I be this person too um, across the internet? Cause sometimes it's just here, look at me, but you're like, yes, look at me, but also look at yourself and the reflection that I'm holding up for you. Heck yeah. And like, that was one thing that I sometimes like really is sometimes it, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable when mm-hmm. people are like, you know, you just show up so authentically online or you know how to be vulnerable. And I feel like a little bit like, actually, no, I don't. Yep. <laughs> but when you have no other option, you just show, you take what you have and you make it work. And I won't back away from speaking my truth and I won't back away from, you know, talking about things that maybe other people won't talk about or stepping into those things and completely owning like as a, as a creative entrepreneur, it totally hurts my ego to admit that I'm not as good as like Mm -hmm. traditionally, you know, trained or classical or like amazing photographers that totally hurts, but I'm still going to say it. It's the truth. Like it's kind of like, you know when a comedian makes fun of themselves before somebody in the audience can heckle them. Mm -hmm. I'm just the entrepreneur who owns, who owns other people's opinions and be like, and I'm still doing it, you know? So if that's one thing that people are attracted to, hell yes, I'll stand by that. I'll stand by, you can admit that you have your shortcomings and you will still overcome. I'll clap that up all day. Cause it's true, right? Like everyone is human. So there are moments that are really great that you want to show off. And there are moments where you're like, you know what? Nope. That person did it way better, but it doesn't mean that my version of doing it is bad. It just means it's different. And And it's going to resonate with people who want it done the way that you do it. There's Mm -hmm. no single way for something to be done ever. So in that regard, keep showing up as you and it's, you're going to attract people who know, like, and trust you. 
And vulnerability, I always get that too, where it's like, oh my gosh, you're so vulnerable. It must be so easy for you. Scared shitless every time I hit share on something. It doesn't stop getting scary. It just becomes so much a muscle that you're working and that you realize if I don't work this, it's not going to perform the way I want it to, right? Like this muscle of showing up has to only happens because I'm constantly showing up. But if I stop, then the reality is that I will hide and I will by default then erase myself and that's just not an option so that's the thing that ends up motivating too because you're like you know what no vulnerability is my only option and i do it despite the fact that i'm really scared about it well you know i mean just i wanted to like put up like a pause there because it's the it's the i do it because it's the only option but so many people choose not to do it Mm -hmm. and like that becomes the biggest like pivot in so many people's lives is like you're not getting the thing you want you're not doing the things you want to do you're not growing in the same capacities because you're not willing to do the things that other people are willing to do is to show up it's that will again broken perfect absolutely absolutely it's that will again right because it's the how will i show up or i could i should and i may do it this way but am I really doing something that's authentically like stirring my heart up and really making me feel challenged and growing in other ways that that I wouldn't if I was just hiding what was that before and after moment for you was it when you were starting your career I think it was different iterations there were like when you say starting your career I feel like that could be clumped into like the first week month Mm -hmm. year the first decade of it and the answer to all of those would be yeah Because every time you have to admit that you don't have it together, every time you have to admit that you're scared, every time that you have to admit that you put something out and you're giving people the permission to have an opinion about it, like all of that, every single iteration. And I don't think it ever goes away. Like every time I put something out in a personal capacity, like at the time of this recording, you know, Mm -hmm. motherhood is new to me, the adoption process, my daughter is new to me. And I realized that like, um, when we first came home, we had a a photo shoot like I wanted some photos mm-hmm. and I haven't I up until to just very today I shared those photos because I told my husband I'm like I want to keep them as my own the minute you put something out you never get it back and the vulnerability that it took for me and most people would think oh it's just the Instagram thing you do you share pictures of your kids and I'm like no that was so hard for me I don't really think I'll be the 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 like the mommy blogger I don't yeah. think that that's the route I'm gonna go but just out of fact of like I want I will only share stuff that I feel safe that I feel confident with but also at the same time making myself a little bit uncomfortable because I know that's when I grow it's so interesting that you bring that up because I think I've been very aware and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts actually that explore this in some way shape or form but it's not only the power of creating something but it's the power of also having someone bear witness to it and it isn't because you want to have someone you know, pat you on the back or give you accolades for it. But it's this beautiful thing that you've created, whether it's your work or your baby, um, that you just want someone to say, like, to share that with the world. I mean, like, listen, like, this can be for you, too. Like, this can be what you you work towards, what you will into your life as well. I was listening to this one podcast with Ashley Ford for long form. And she was talking about how she perceived why she is so public with her love and her marriage. And she was saying it, it isn't just because I wanted like, here's some PDA. It's more, I know what it is to be a, she, for her, it was like, I know what it is to be a black woman who's searching for love. And I want people to know that there is someone out there who will think that you are beautiful exactly how you are. Mm. And I think that so much of who we all are is just trying to make sure that maybe that little kid who didn't know that they could do this thing or be this way or be loved this way or have this thing 
knows that there is someone out there who has and who can and that it is a matter of like figuring out the ways to make it happen for yourself but that's why it's so beautiful that you shared because i'm sure there's someone out there who's going through their own adoption process and you are giving them a little bit of hope just by existing and owning your existence in such a public way and you know it was a crazy thing is is like when we talk about it we we have a tendency like the easy thing is to look at it myopically that there's other people going through the adoption process and like my whole post had nothing to do with the adoption process Mm -hmm. it was are you waiting for something yeah Like, because I was in, like, the sitting of the suck of waiting, and for people who, like, for those people who are waiting, like, I want to tell them, like, I see you, and I know it's hard, and I know it's long, and I know that life feels like it's filled with question marks, I know the agony of silence, and I was never going to look at somebody on Instagram Mm -hmm. and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to say something cliche, I'm not going to pretend, I'm just going to say, I know what it's like to wait, and I'm here with you in that waiting process, and I think that... That is the thing that connects us. When we can show up in that way, um, it's become a game changer, both business, personally, even socially. It's beautiful because it brings it down to its core, which is this is just a human experience. You can plug in and out the different details of what that human experience is, but it is exactly the same feeling of longing and hopelessness and loneliness and need of community and need of support and need of love that can fit into the IVF process, the adoption process, grief as a whole, waiting for someone to love. Like for a kid at 17 years old, waiting for that school to pick you, like it can literally be anything because at the end of the day, it's just a human experience. Absolutely. I think you've navigated it in a way that everyone in your community is just so lucky to have been allowed in to see that and and kind of hold up that mirror, like I said earlier, and just reflect it because you reflect it back so beautifully to everyone in the community and as we start wrapping up this conversation i mean i love the fact that we've been anchored in this idea of i could i should but but what will i actually do so i think Mm. for those who are in that middle ground and trying to figure it out what is the i know it's so hard but like what is the one thing you would tell them to help encourage them as they figure out that will you can't make the wrong decision when you say, I will do it, there, I, I've come to believe and know there is no such thing as the wrong decision. There is just a decision that you made. And then the after effects of that decision are to amend or to continue. So when you take the pressure off yourself, knowing there is no such thing as the wrong decision, it frees you up to flex the muscle of I will and you either amend or you continue. <laughs> I swear I want to tattoo so many of the things that you said today because it is (laughs) honestly just so soul giving and so reassuring to know that we're exactly where we need to be. And the more that we can choose to be present in that moment and understand what we need and want while we're there, the more that that will will become attainable and that everything that should could will fall to the wayside. Yes. Thank you so much for joining in on this conversation. And where can people find you online? You can find me on all social platforms at Jasmine Star and at jasminestar.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome back. If that conversation doesn't prepare you to embrace the sec, I don't know what will. If you loved hearing my conversation with Vivian, you're in for a treat. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, you are able to snag my three-part Instagram branding course for free. This mini audio course 
is designed to help you intentionally show up on Instagram and create a recognizable brand for your business by creating a purpose-driven account, playing up your profile so your followers can recognize you and know you. And then we're going to walk you through how to get real, R-E-A-L, engagement with your audience. And it's all yours when you leave an iTunes review. Then you can let me know at jasminestar.com forward slash IG branding. Friend, I hope you feel inspired. I hope you're ready to take action. And I hope you're ready to embrace the suck. Don't think about what could or should, but instead focus on the next best step and have a feeling you'll be just fine.